Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have the one, the only, Dan John. If you don't know who this guy is, Google him. If you do, sit back and relax because you're about to get your brain crammed full of knowledge. I'm just going to jump right in here. Here we go. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you get that a lot. Get another time too. So if you want to do more than just the once, that's fine. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm sure you get that a lot, but I mean, you're just a normal guy that just has a lot of experience in the field that I am currently doing, you know? So it's, uh, it's, then I'm just, well, what am I intimidated by? I should just ask him on and we could talk about anything. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. Right well, on. Let's, get started. let's get started so we have uh, we can yeah get recording here yeah so we're recording um we're rocking and rolling i like to uh, just start recording right away because i don't want to miss anything because a lot of the times during the kind of the introduction you know you get a lot of really good information so i don't like to miss any of that um so for the few viewers that don't know who you are um let's give them a brief description of who you are and uh, what you what you're doing currently because you've been a coach for a long time and yeah. I mean, you want the whole Vita or just the highlights? Uh, let's just do the highlights. Okay. Well, I think it's important. I'm the youngest of six from South San Francisco, California, very athletic, very military family. Um, sort of fell in love with weightlifting when we got that first Ted Williams bar back in about 1965 and started lifting then. And probably about eighth grade, I, I became a, three to five days a week lifter maybe a little earlier and then in ninth grade I started keeping a journal and then I can basically tell you every practically every workout since 1971 so um was a discus thrower. I wanted to be a football player I played football a long time but uh, I was a much better discus thrower and that paid for all my education I went to Utah State uh was MVP up there it was kind of cool I was MVP in high school junior college and uh Utah State, so that's kind of that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, after that, Coach Mon asked me to come in and start helping in the fall in the weight room. So in the fall of 1979, I probably was one of the first. I mean, I'm sure there might have been others, but I was probably the first strength coach for track and field, and probably one of the first strength coaches at the college level. And um, what? I learned a lot those first couple of years. Uh, I tried a lot of things, um, really focused on the Olympic lifts at first. Uh, uh, Olympic lifts, uh, front squats and hill sprints. That was my answer to everything. Yeah. And as, as I went on, I got a little bit more of a template and, and uh, it's, I continue to help people in the weight room. Um, 
for years, I for years after school, I keep the weight room open, and that was in hindsight. It's funny because I think those those times when I was just helping were probably most important times in hindsight because someone would come in. I had a guy named Jim come in one time. He was, you know, early thirties, started to feel the bulge come on for the first time. A little bit, started to get a little puffy, get a little fat. Yeah. Like I never really worked with uh, fat loss. It was always sports. Yeah. And, so, and then I started working with women. Then I started working and it was kind of fun because I think you need those experiences with both elite athletes and everybody else to really, well, as, as a te- to teach everything you need both right lead athletes will pick stuff up sometimes so fast you, you didn't coach them you just you know <laughs> yeah and, but and it was nice you need a lot of experiences and then uh, about 2010 i uh, decided to do full-time writing and uh and it was a good decision um uh, i had spent a lot of time i felt like I've pretty much done everything I wanted in the world of coaching. And yeah. I, I joke all the time that I've retired from throwing like 17 times. Well, I probably retired from coaching probably, probably once a year, you know, you, you retire, I've had enough and then something brings you back in. So it's been nice. Cause yeah, right now, for example, I, I, I work at St. Mary's uh, in Twickenham, London as a, uh, as a uh, senior lecturer and I, and I work for Columbia college as an online instructor. And really I spend most of my no- time now talking to military units and professional teams and uh, trying to help them clean things up. It, it's really interesting just because when I work with a professional team, very often the entire staff will have helped read every single one of my books. Yeah, and they'll have put together templates that reflect some of my ideas, and then I'll look at it and go. <laughs> sometimes I'll go, "It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life." Yeah. I messed it up so badly, and sometimes it's so elegant and so simple, uh, it makes me proud to be part of the process. So that there's a quick summary. Yeah, right. And so that's really interesting the dichotomy between athletes that you're coaching because I uh, am a massage therapist also and really have been working really hard to kind of combine those two worlds into one kind of fluid practice. Um, And so, you know, I, uh, before this whole virus pandemic happened, I was working with multiple different companies and I started uh, working on, but not coaching a lot of collegiate athletes, like high level uh, swimmers, um, high level runners, basketball players. And it's funny because they all have the same physical issues that normally everyday people have. But like you said, they just kind of pick up, you're just like, do this thing. And they're like, okay. And then they just do it just because they've been an athlete their whole life that their body awareness is so on point. But then there's other people where you just really have to, to give them like every minute detail of their coaching just so they can continue to perform the movements that you're giving them. So like I have everybody from, um, you know, I've been working with, uh, unfortunately these teenagers who are playing baseball in high school and don't have strength training and doing an inhuman thing of throwing a baseball a thousand times a day. And then I have, um, you know, coaching people like my mom who are like 70 years old and, 
you know, most people her age are considered a fall risk and she is most definitely, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, right. And so, you know, that's where, um, you know, you preach a lot of that strength training is just, you're basically putting money in the bank for later on. Right. So the deadlifts well, you do now, like there's no difference between preparing uh, for this virus. I mean, those sleep decisions you made six months ago, your, your nutritional decisions you've made for a while, those are all impacting your immune system as we speak. Right. So if now the truth is you can still get the virus and get very ill. That's absolutely true. But almost universally, like you said, don't you want to put money? In, I want to put money in my immune bank. Right. So I'm not right. At, when, if I, if my daughter comes home or my wife comes home and gets me, hits the virus on me, I have, I have, a, I have some, uh, I've got some room in there to work with. Right. When you're, you know, if you can deadlift body weight and you have to help someone move a couch, you've got room in there, your system to not blow stuff off moving a couch. Yeah. Right. So like I, your, your point is really quite good, but it's also true in every aspect of life it's true in personal finance you know um you know if you're living on the edge any hiccup a uh, broken hot water heater uh, new tires can can really destroy you yeah and i had that experience at the beginning of last year where you know i had a little problem with my car and i took it into the mechanic and it was a big problem and yeah. so he calls me and then tells me the price first and then I called my wife and told her the price. She's like, well, what's the matter with it? I'm like, I don't know. He told me the price first. Like, <laughs> you can't just hit somebody in the face and then have them explain what you said afterwards. That's not how that works. <laughs> you know, but the, yeah. And so, you know, that's uh, one of the big problems, you know, before I don't want to veer too far off track, but with, uh, you know, with this virus, there's a lot of people in these small businesses that are just trying to make it, you know, this is a huge deal for them. And, yeah. you know, just trying to recover, but that's like, you know, it's just such a weird time. Well, it's, I read a nice thing today about how, um, you know, we're expecting someone who makes minimum wage to have in savings two weeks, whereas yeah. United Airlines is bitching if you don't bail us out. Uh, wait a sec. You've got a multi-billion dollar industry. Right. And you, and you have no little, no one ever thought about this thing. But actually, yeah. but don't worry, because I think there's great value in coaching from all this. I yeah. just did a, a well over an hour broadcast about, and I call it balance, it's resilience. And right. one of the things I always try to tell people is, you know, there's, there's three stages of everything. There's that, uh, well, falling, there's stumble proofing. Right. You, should, you should practice, you know, staying on one foot sometimes. You should maybe do some uh, speed skater drills sometimes just to practice in case you ever catch your toe or foot to stumble. Right. And if the stumble doesn't work, part two is you should know how to roll. Right. And part three, bounce back up. Yeah. And then I think a lot of businesses forgot about stumbling. They're always looking at more money, more money, more money. And the truth is you also have to think about what we used to call a rainy day. And yeah. It is raining right now, man. But let's talk more lifting. You're right. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's kind of a lot to unpack there. And that's one of the reasons why I was just like, well, I'll just ask him to get on because we could probably go all day. But uh, I was taking an education course in Dallas, Texas. And um, I got off the plane. And as I was walking through baggage claim, I started looking around and then started to understand, man, I'm the fittest person in this airport right now. And there was people just struggling 
to walk to the bus that takes you to the rental car place. And then immediately um, this quote from Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer popped into my head where he just said, don't be a liability. Right. And so, you know, then it's, then I started to kind of form what you should be as an athlete. Like, should you be able to deadlift a thousand pounds? No, but should you be able to, pick up an unconscious person and drag them out of a house? Sure. You know, do you need to run a six minute mile? No. Do you need to be able to sprint 200 meters and then steadily slow down and run about a mile away from danger? Yes. Like these are all these things that you should be able to do. Like, is it, is it bad if you drink alcohol? No. Is it bad if you get to the point where you're incoherent and can't drive? Yes. You're a liability. So it's like, and so that's just kind of how I started when people like, well, can I have a dessert? Sure. But like, if you get to the point where you're so overweight that you can't function, then you're a liability and you need to not be that way, you yeah. know, because it's, we need to, especially in this time, we need to be able to serve the humans around us. And the dog behind you too. Yes. The dog behind me too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's fine right now. So unfortunately he's got, um, a lot of anxiety since he was a puppy. Uh, yeah. So we had, we got him from when he was three months old from people who just immediately put him in a crate for like 12 hours a day. And so, you know, when his parents get anxious, then he gets even more anxious and that's a right. thing. So, sure. which is good because then we just take him for walks, you know, yeah. got to be grateful for dogs. Hey, let's go for a walk. Oh, I don't want to. All right. And then you feel better afterwards, right? Yes. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about weightlifting then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about your message is, uh, the different types of weightlifting as compared to the athlete that's performing it. And I think that's really important. Um, because you know what, like I said, I was working with swimmers, right. And so, these swimmers were always getting on my table and they're like, God, my quads are so sore. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Well, we're doing, um, five sets of three heavy tempo squats. Like, why are you doing that? Like, like they should be like in my mind and this, they should be doing like hang power cleans. They need to be more explosive. They're in the middle of their season. They need to be able to jump off the blocks, you know? Well, I can't speak for swimming because I don't know it very well. I, one of my students uh, is uh, the head of uh, diving weightlifting for uh, England. But um, all I can say is that you, as a strength coach, you know, all those exercises, all those pieces of equipment, you know, it's just a toolbox or it's a quiver of arrows, you know. And I think, I think what happens sometimes is sports that have no tradition of weightlifting uh, that would be uh, like they didn't wait. They wouldn't let weightlifters box forever because it would make you muscle bound. Basketball because you'd lose your, uh, your your touch. Baseball muscle bound or whatever it was. Swimming you get too bulky. Well, so all those sports that pushed them off for a long time when they decided to start doing sports, they didn't have any tradition behind them. No. Uh, what worked? I mean, James Councilman, of course, he was a great Indiana swim coach. He was a real pioneer in weightlifting, but he was always trying to look for different gimmicks and machines to make it work. There's nothing wrong with that. He did good work. Um, but like in track and field, we had people were doing the clean and press, the snatch, and the clean and jerk, and making 
massive leaps in their performance. And so in track and field, we have always basically looked at the Olympic lifts and the power lifts as really the end all and be all. But what hurts most people now is ever since 75, 1975, and Arnold, the educational bodybuilder in the movie Pumping Iron, is that when I say weightlifting to a swimmer, they show me their gun. When I say weightlifting to a basketball player, they show me their guns. When yeah. I say weightlifting to a baseball player, they go through a five-minute bodybuilding uh, routine. Right. And bodybuilding is what those sports think is weightlifting. And I mean, you can say, no, that's not what we do at our place. Yeah. And then I'll say, what does weightlifting do? And they'll all show me a gun. And so what's happened is many sports think that bodybuilding, which is a fine sport and activity to do, uh, but in like, like you said, I mean, okay, maybe that's going to help you off the starting blocks, but you know, like Charlie Francis said, you know, you know, you're worried about tens of seconds and I'm talking about, pardon me, hundreds of seconds and I'm talking about tens of seconds. Yeah. That, was, that was a brilliant spot, a point. Yeah. And so yeah, maybe they go another foot farther on their dive, but the, that <laughs> the dragging that mass might slow them down. Right, right. Uh, and so, so what you have to have is you have to have a vision as a strength coach from, you know, basic planks and basic body weight to, you know, slower lifts, to unilateral, you know, one-sided lifts, to ballistic lifts. And you have to have a vision of that. And uh, I have a thing I call the matrix where, you know, I just, to me, it's, it's simple. I mean, I just kind of plug and play what you, what you can do and what we can do with the equipment we have and what we can do by the time of year. And by just kind of focusing on uh, not what we not in this imaginary perfect world what we would do but in the realities of you know um it's it's, it's sometimes called win what's yeah. important now you right know, what's important now and very often you know the athlete's tired enough what's important now is taking a nap i had a great talk with uh, an academy uh strength coach one of the military academies he goes sometimes they come in the weight room and i have to take a two-hour nap yeah these guys are, you know, this is the only sleep they might get. Uh, you know, they're trying to live on four hours sleep, but they need two more. Right. And I thought, that's good strength coaching. Right. And so that's, uh, that's really important. So I started getting into um, weightlifting when I was uh, starting my athletic career as a mixed martial artist. And then I went into CrossFit from that. And then eventually, um, when I got my massage therapy license, I started training. Or st my continuing education was a lot of rehabilitative kind of focus. And so that's when I started um, asking the why behind stuff. And I think that's kind of what you were alluding to earlier, is you have to have a why behind what you're doing. So we're going to do deadlifts. Why? Does this person need to do deadlifts or does they need to do single leg deadlifts or do they need to do like, you know, I think my first question is what could go wrong. Right. It's interesting. Yours is why, and right. mine, we're in the same, I think we're going the same journey. Right. But what can go wrong if I have a swimmer who's never lifted before, who is very pliable, very loose, very supple. And then I have him grab weight, him or her grab a load. Uh, and they don't know how to, they don't know how to plank. They don't know how to 
brace. They don't know how to do a lot of things because their sport, it's the antithesis of what their sport asks for. Right. So by by having them do that, I might be, what's the worst that can go wrong? I might blow their back out or I'm, you know, or I might ruin their performance. That's the beauty of swimming in track and field though. You know, if it's working. Uh, Right. Right. And so that's the, that's the thing is like, if you look at swimming for what it is, it's essentially track and field, but in the water. Right. So they're, they're just essentially sprinting short distances, you know? And so you gotta, you gotta train them as such. And, and so like the why, right. So that's why I ended up uh, leaving CrossFit um, is because I started asking that why before every workout and it just didn't make sense to me. Why are we doing this? Why does that person need to do that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, let's start there. You know, like if, uh, you know, cause then I started going into, like I said, the rehabilitative part. And then I started looking at like mobility and then, well, if they don't have the mobility to perform pop, proper squat why are you making them do 150 as fast as possible that's just a recipe for injury you know what i mean but then they're like well how do we increase mobility well it's just like strength right you have to tell your brain what you need it to do by creating opportunities for it to make more mobility and so it's going to take just as long as strength so if you need more ankle mobility, then it's going to take six months. Well, I don't want to do that. Okay. Then I don't know how to help you, you know, like, because it's just like, um, you know, kind of compared to business where there's that whole mindset where I just constantly have to get better all the time. Isn't realistic because it's your gains are cyclical. And so you need to understand that. And so there's a whole lot of anxiety around that. I, I, um, from my point of view, from today's current fitness crazes or whatever they are. Yeah. And so like the, the, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the um, societal craving for intensity, you know what I mean? So like the, the orange theories, the CrossFits, it's all kind of, that's what they're selling is. Well, I see. I think it's even deeper. Uh, There's there's two, seven deadly sins that it's funny because even people who don't believe in God or agnostic uh, still fall back on the seven deadly sins. It, uh, and that's the sloth or sloth. And, right. and it cracks me up because here you got someone who hasn't trained in 30 years. And what they want to do is almost whip themselves to death. Yeah. How much can I vomit? How much can I sweat? It must be good because I'm sweating and I'm vomiting. And any and all food is, food is now bad. And it's, it's, it's the opposite of what gets you there. I'm a big believer in, uh, in the process of things. Yeah. You know, I have to spend a, time, a lot of time talking about goal setting because of the nature of the work I do. But truly, I'm not a huge fan of goal setting. Um, again, it could be because I'm a track coach, you know. Uh, if you throw 100 feet um, and then we do something, you throw 105, we're, we're trending in the right direction. You threw farther. Right. Or, in, so... But for me, it's about the, the, the process. So that's why I try to get people to don't, uh, we, Pat Flynn and I, we call them pirate maps. And it's like you have, you pick five items that you're going to do from now on every day. I'm going to sleep eight or nine hours every night. I'm going to wake up and be grateful. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to eat uh, eight different vegetables a day. I'm going to lift weights three days a week and walk four days a week. 
Right. And that's what I'm going to do. Okay. 10 years of that will trump any ridiculous short-term program or workout of the day or three week, this six week, that, and that's a, that's a hard lesson for people to learn that it's the process, but it's interesting because everything that you've ever earned in life, that's good and wholesome, like your education, you know, you don't sit down with a kindergartner and I don't know, you know, we're going to do, we're going to, teach you intensely for two weeks how to read go you know we're gonna we're gonna just shove or you know because they would never learn we're gonna teach you in the third grade the multiplication tables you got two days to learn them all go but that's right. kind of how we treat the human body when it comes to uh exercise uh, health fitness longevity performance and it's silly yeah it should be much you know it's it's little bricks every day, little bricks every day, little bricks every day. And if you keep that up for, well, in my case, what, 50, 55 years, pretty soon, you, you know, you, you feel pretty good about things. Right. And so that's, uh, you know, um, comparing it to track athletes, like you're not going to get faster at 400 meter sprints by sprinting 400 meters every day, you know, and that's like one of the things that I had to, really talk about when I was coaching CrossFit a lot was when people would just be super frustrated with their performance. Like, ah, I just didn't do very good. I just don't understand. I'm like, well, how'd you sleep? Well, I went out drinking last night. Okay. So what'd you have for breakfast? Oh, I woke up too late. So I didn't have any breakfast and I didn't have lunch either. Cause I had to work too much. Well, how was your day? Well, I got in an argument with my boss and it was terrible. Okay. You're not going to perform good. Like this is how this works. Like you have to, like, if you want to perform, like a high performance machine, you have to treat yourself as such. You can't just, you know, be a garbage can and then expect it to be a Ferrari. I don't know. Like, it's just, we have just such a weird way of looking at it. And things. the CrossFit idea of going for personal records every day. And I get it. They're varied things, but, um, but the problem with intensity is that it's only one of several factors you need to look at. Uh, the other yeah. one is volume. And the other one is what we call density, which is the same amount, which is, you know, work in a certain amount of time. And you either add more work to that time or same work, less time. Right. And uh, th those are just three. And there's, um, th th there's appropriate accommodations like in, in our world in throwers, you know, we'll do bench press and then incline bench and then we'll military and then we'll decline just so that the athletes so that they don't completely destroy the, their shoulders doing one of those variations. Right. And we think that that small variation is going to have a little bit more accommodations than doing the same thing all the time. So uh, for the gentle listeners, I just, it, this is kind of where the art of coaching comes in. I know that the best thing you can do in the weight room is the exact same thing every single time. Now the downside is, and I'm right about that. It is, there's no question in my mind that if you did the exact same thing in the workout every single day for the rest of your career, you would get better. The problem is, is A, it's deadly dull, and B, you might be missing a whole area of growth and adaption by something as simple as going from bench to incline, right. or going from front squat to back squat, or just those uh, going from trap bar deadlift to you know normal deadlift. Yeah, there might be something that just 
springs in your nervous system that gives you perfect clarity. So, but to, but to be able to coach like that, you really have to be able to, you know, build in appropriate volume and appropriate intensity so that you keep slowly building up all your different qualities. How many puppies you got back there? I got uh, two of them. So yeah, one's an old guy, one's a young guy. Yeah. And they, they're bored and think it's time to eat. Um, so yeah, that's all. So one thing that you were alluding to during that and then, you know, earlier on is that what we were trying to do with all these different stimulus is, is to create movement variants, which then gives your brain movement solutions, right? So that's what you were talking about with like the stumble, correct? So like if you don't, if you only train this way and you never train left to right, you only train up and down, mm -hmm. then when you fall left to right, then your brain doesn't have a solution for that. And so ideally you'd have some practice, but yeah, I, right. I know what you mean. Now, having said that, if you're a power lifter, you're an Olympic lifter, that's your sport. And I think we always have to make sure just that we separate that out. Right. And so I learn a lot from Olympic lifters and I learn a lot from power lifters, but then I have to step back and remind myself that's the sport of Olympic lifting and power lifting. Does that carry over to a swimmer, to a discus thrower, to a grandma? And, and by the way, and that's why it's so important to constantly remind yourself to pull your eyes up and look. So one of the things I've discovered, um, uh, anybody who works with me, I ask them to do a very simple thing. I want you to adopt uh, an underserved community. So yeah. uh, I work with the deaf. Uh, Taylor works with cystic fibrosis. Uh, Parker works with uh, PS, uh, PTSD people. And then if you're working with elite athletes and you're working with a special community like people with cystic fibrosis, if something works here and something works over here, what we know is going to work for everybody. Right. And that's, that's why I think it's so important that as a coach, you constantly remind yourself what I just said there, because there's, there's great information that can come from people with, all kinds of issues and diseases and the elites. And sometimes uh, it's like the goblet squat. You know, I, you know, I'm, that's my invention. And the reason I think I'm so proud of it is that it has impacted elite athletes and it's impacted some of the uh, less strong people in our community. Right. Which is, you know, one of the, that's one of the first, um, that's one of the first squats that I implement with people that are that haven't worked out before that haven't done anything is once they start progressing past, you know, just sitting on a box and standing up and then they need a little bit more strength. And that's the goblet squats, my next go-to. And that's a, that's a huge step forward for a lot of people is just being able to squat under load, which is, you know, and so that's the, you know, speaking of sport, like CrossFit's a great sport. And so, but they have this competition standard of squatting hip below parallel, which is, you know, standard for Olympic lifting, standard for powerlifting also as far as sport goes. But what matters more, I think, is people squatting. So oh, yeah. is, is this 65-year-old woman squatting? Yes or no? That's what we needed to get her doing. Yeah. And so she's just sitting 
in her couch and standing back up, she's becoming more resilient as she does that. You yes. know what I mean? And, you know, even so one of the reasons why um, we have such a fall risk for older populations in America is because we protect them from the ground when that's where we should be putting them. Well, you know, It's a question I ask audiences all the time. When is the last time you saw your mom or dad on the ground yeah. on, on purpose? Right. And when you train with me, we spend every workout, there's time on the ground. Right. I use the floor as a training tool more than most people I know for the exact same reason you just said. Yeah. Uh, because the more you get up and down off the floor, the less fearful you are on, of the floor. Right. I've asked, uh, I've had a few trainers say to their, they would go home and say to their mom, hey, I'm asking you a favor. Why don't we get on the floor? And there's instant pushback. Yeah. Right. Oh, Lord. Well, I just, I'm just going to do this thing. Wait, on the floor? And then all of a sudden, you, the, the one person has a funny invitation. It's their mom looking at the floor like they're overlooking a cliff. You know, yeah. sharks at the bottom. It's like, wow. Right. I'm there. Yeah. That's and a, that's a. And, and once so, you slip, yeah, step on a little bit of butter, that floor is coming at you fast. Right. And so that's a. Uh, um, have you ever met uh, Dr. Perry Nicholson? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. So he taught me what he calls the anti-fragile matrix, where you just oh, simply, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, where you just simply lie down on your stomach, stand back up, lie down on your left side, stand back up, lie down on your right, stand back up, lie down on your back, stand back up, and that's one rep. And so, like, I, I, I no, have my interesting to see if if he got that from me because that is a, he, yeah, it's it's very likely that he did because yeah. he's one of those people that will take information from everyone and will absolutely give you credit for that information. But then during his courses, like just inundates you with information. Like I have no idea if he got it from you, but I'm pretty sure he did. But that's, I make my mom do those at least once a week. Yeah. Those and, are called, in our language, get backups. Cause yeah. you say get back up. Okay. Yep. And every single week, I make her do five reps of that for usually three rounds and a little circuit that I have her doing. And oh. she's just grumbling and ready? scratchy the whole time. So, so after doing the, the first round, put her right hand on her right knee and do it that way. Yep. Next round, left hand on left knee. Yep. Next round, right hand on left knee, left hand on right knee. Uh, this position here, hands behind the head. Yep. Or you can do uh, your hands on your own butt cheeks. It yep. is a delightful way to teach movement. Right. And so and just exposing her to the ground a lot yeah. more. She's said multiple times where, you know, she's cleaning off the windshield of her truck and took a stumble. And the only reason she didn't fall was because of that training, you know, yeah. so, and it's huge. And so it's just, um, and you know, those, those Asian populations, they, they're so strong at such an old age because they're on the ground all the time. That's where they sleep. That's where they eat. That's where they watch TV, you know? And so they're constant. It's not a problem for them, but we have, you know, super high toilets and even higher beds. And it's yeah. just, we're so weird. Humans are weird. <laughs> and so it's a, you know, all that, all that, uh, strength training. It's like you said, it's got kind of a bad rap, right? Like based off of, you know, women, I don't want to strength train. I'll get huge. I'm like, no, there's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those women are taking other stuff. It's, it's not a thing. Like it was years ago. It is, it's miles better than it was. I, right. uh, I can't, uh, you know, 
I remember when women first started coming to the weight room and uh, the, the, the difference now is I go to a, I'll go to a normal gym and the gyms I go to almost always there's more women than men. Yeah. And that idea about getting muscle bound and all that, that's, that's almost, it's, yeah, that's, that's really shrunk down. Yes. Yep. Um, it is, you know, um, but, and as hard as people work out, um, I'm still amazed though, is how they give up, give away so much of it, uh, with poor dietary choices, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's an interesting thing that you just mentioned the, cause you've been coaching a long time. So you've seen just about every single evolution you possibly could up to this point. So, and, um, I've heard you speak multiple times where you're just not afraid to try the new thing. And so right. I think that's really cool too. You're just, you know, um, man, it's really important because everybody in this day and age is so black and white on everything, you know, and I have, a, I have a theory that I really truly shouldn't comment on something unless I've done it. Right. Now that's not always a good idea. You know, right. my Nautilus training experience probably wasn't very good for me. Uh, my CrossFit was not very good for me at all. Um, but there are other times where I'll do something. I did uh, yoga for a long time and, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I got injured doing yoga because the teacher kept pushing me in this one position and I got a umbilical hernia from yoga, which is embarrassing. Yeah. That lift over 600 pounds of blow your, blow your stomach out. Doing yoga pose. Yeah. But that's that, that's that prerequisite that we were talking about earlier with like the CrossFit and the ankle mobility and all that stuff that you preach all the time. Like that's all, that's all that stuff should be part of your training. Yeah. Well, you know, today, uh, Mike and I, uh, Mondays, because of the, 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 the whole issue we're going through, Mondays now is a long ruck. I have a 60-pound backpack and weights in my hands. We go for about two miles, and then we come back to here and we do complexes. And my complexes are Olympic lifting. So, you know, here I'm out there doing my, doing my snatches, doing my overhead squats, doing my back squats and all this stuff. And, and, I, and it kind of makes me laugh in a way. Because when I was a kid, if you would have said to me, uh, your workouts will be walking around with a heavy backpack and doing Olympic lift of complexes, I said, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, that, yeah. so that's, that's not bad. So, you know, I'm 63 doing overhead squats, you know, that's, you know, that's what you do. It feels good. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, in that overhead squat, that's a, there's a lot of prerequisites involved in that. Yes. And so just, I think that there's a responsibility of the coaches to understand that there's prerequisites there and maybe front squats are better for people. Like you, just because it's written on the board as the overhead squat is, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, like there needs to be options, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And your, um, your, you should have a depth of knowledge to be able to regress people. Oh, you can't, you don't have that shoulder in order to do an overhead squat. So we're just going to bring that barbell down to what's called the front rack. We're going to have you squat there, you know, or, you know, goblet squatting. Or It is whatever. interesting you say that because when I first learned the swing, kettlebell swing, I was just taught the kettlebell swing. Yeah. But when I teach it, I probably have 20 or 30 regressions because the more and more I coached, the more and more tools I needed to get over people's bad movements. Right. And or just ter terrible, terrible movements. Right. Uh, so now I have this whole 
So when I teach the kettlebell swing, you know, we go, we can go for three, four, five, six hours just on the kettlebell swing because you are going to run into a client or an athlete who does this when they swing. So you need that correction regression. Uh, when you teach the overhead squat, you are going to run into an athlete who has uh, can't straighten out the left elbow. So if the overhead squats are answered all questions, well, you, you got a problem right now. This right. cannot do it. So you need another another thing to do and that to me is what the longer you coach i think your toolbox fills up true but you also learn to start throwing stuff out too earlier and earlier and earlier yeah uh i steve bakari has that great idea no matter how good an exercise is if everybody can't do it within 80 percent of the people can't do it within 15 minutes you throw it out Right. And that's that, a, because well, I can't waste all this time teaching this little teeny movement that looked great at a seminar, but you know, we're not getting anything out of it. We're all standing around. Yeah. Right. You know, and man, that's one of the things that I learned um, through those continuing education courses was, you know, a like core stability and what that means and B how to coach it better because you know, the, the, remedial coaching that I got from the CrossFit level one wasn't cutting it. And so I finally understood like there's some people that just don't know how to organize themselves to do a deadlift. Okay. Yeah. So like, don't make them do a bunch of deadlifts in a row. Like this means that they have to be able if they can't organize themselves in a deadlift, they're going to have trouble everywhere else. Right. And so how you said that too. organize yourself. That's, that's why. Yeah, yourself because it is. Yeah, when yeah. you when you snatch and clean and jerk, uh, you know I've watched people teach it and I don't agree with it, but they they teach the snatch grip deadlift and then they teach this and then they teach that and then they teach this, and sometimes I'm like wow, but I also understand that with some people that's the regression you're going to have to take where you break everything down to the minutiae. Uh, it's right. just not a real efficient way of. Right. And so, you know, that's where all the uh, developmental kinesiology comes into play. And my, uh, my tool bag is, you know, if you can't deadlift, let's figure out why, yeah. where's your, where are you having trouble organizing yourself? Like I said, so like, you know, then you get them in like the bear crawl position and then they can't figure that out. Cool. So what's next? Then you just get like simple rolling patterns. Can you lie on the ground and roll? onto your stomach like because that's how you need to figure this out you know what i mean but then i've seen a lot of coaches that are just like i don't know what to do i guess uh make them deadlift they'll figure it out and I'm like no that's not how this works so well the truth i mean that's that's the division one coaching style in some places uh yeah see those guys over there yeah do that okay coach and uh yeah if you got enough, you got enough meat around and you got enough athletes, you can pull that off. Yeah. And you're not going to have a, there's, I think that's not the best career way to do things, but yeah. Right. And it's a, uh, man, just going back to the athletes thing. I think that's, it's so interesting because one of the other things that Dr. Uh, Perry always says is, uh, you know, 80% of walking and a hundred percent of running is on one leg. And so if you're not doing single leg movements, then you're doing people a disservice almost. You know what I mean? Because well, I, yeah, so I've, I've, 
I've never thought that you need to do a lot of, there's a value for certain single leg tools in the weight room, but uh, I've, I've, I've never been a big fan of some of the one legged stuff. Let's not get into it. Cause it's okay. Yeah. But uh, I just, what happens, I'll look at some of the stuff people do. In fact, I was just looking at a book from a friend of mine the other day, who blew himself off doing single, he blew his, he blew himself apart doing single leg deadlifts. Yeah. And, um, you know, what's the risk to reward ratio on that? You know, uh, it's all being a coach. I say it in a hundred different ways, but it's all about cost to benefit ratios. And that's, that's the job. That's the job. Yeah. And so then you have to go back to your why, you know what I mean? Like, why are you doing that? And so I use it to, um, get the body prepped for deadlifting. You know, so like if you do one leg and then the other leg and then you do deadlift. So I'm not doing it for high loads and I'm not doing it for high reps. I'm just neurologically prepping the body to lift that weight. And that's just kind of how it makes sense to me. And so, you know, but then you have to have regressions from there as well. So like if they can't figure it out on the single leg, then you can have them do stagger stance or, um, you know, put one foot like on a weight plate so that it's biased on the other one or or it might not even be appropriate and so you know then you just have to go to like kettlebell deadlifts or whatever it is you should have like constant regressions from what you're trying to get them to do all the way back to what you perceive as before the beginning because there's you know each person's different and they're each going to have uh different demands and what they need on their body okay yeah so um you know, it's funny, like, uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you about like the Highland Games for a second, because, uh, you know, that was one of those things that I just kind of did. I just signed up for it and, um, you know, was really deep into like CrossFit competition. And that's where I kind of started to realize that um, the current training that I was doing wasn't giving me the full aspect of being a quote unquote athlete, because I, you know, a, like it was my first Highland Games. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just waiting for somebody to be like, hey, you go over there now. And I'm like, okay, what am I doing? You're throwing this as far as you can. Okay, got it. I can try that. <laughs> you know, it's pretty funny. And then just like. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, because CrossFit, uh, you know, the, the, the model they used to have was it was the ideal thing for every athlete. Right. But I can tell you my own throwing career, it was brutal on my Highland game and brutal on my discus throwing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and improved my crappy 400 meter time and improved my crappy 800 meter time. And I got better at doing this and that. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. The Highland games uh, really helped my career because, um, see, I've always, I was taught this in the second grade, but it's a compass work, rest, play and pray pray can be a long time beauty. yeah and you constantly need to make sure that they're all the same arrow distance okay the same compass arrow yeah and what was happening to me as a discus thrower it was work 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 and then i go to highland games and it's a lot of fun and play came back to my training and it's interesting because and i, I knew another shot putter told me the same thing is Training the Highland game implements was the best training for discus throwing I had ever done. Right. We said that I was already in a place where I could snatch over 300, clean over 400. The weight room wasn't my issue. 
right. my shoe was out on the field. And right. I'd love to, love to go back and work with me a little bit back then. Tell me, ease up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, yes. the Highland games are, 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 are a marvelous sport. I've gotten away from them in the last 10 years or so. I still do a couple of small games every year. But it's just, uh, it became track meets and kilts. You know, too, it was just too hype. I liked it when I first started where everybody competed together. Yeah. And it was fun. The, the brand new guy would be literally with a world champion. And yeah. it was fun. And then it became A, B, C, pro, novice, open. Every, then age groups came in. And, uh, it's just. Yeah, so my uh, here in Flagstaff, Arizona, every time it comes here, we just have uh, heavyweight and lightweight, and so lightweight is two hundred pounds and below. Oh, so two hundred for you guys, okay? Yeah, and heavyweight's two hundred pounds and up, and so you know, just the, just you know, you start looking at those heavyweights, and you're like, hmm, that's a big man, you know? <laughs> so that's like, that's a, that could be anywhere from like 200 to 350 pounds, you know? And so um, then they're just throwing those cavers like toothpicks, you know, it's just crazy. But like, that's a thing that I had to adjust to kind of on the fly is the caber because like, I don't have any telephone poles to throw around, you know? It's like, from the backyard, yeah. Yeah. It's really, yeah. It's really funny. It's a, uh, and that's, that takes a lot of mobility and a lot of motor control and a lot of balance and a lot of, that's a, that's a, you know, and I never flipped one, but you really? know, yeah, I never, uh, I, I try, I, I kept, I couldn't get it. You know, I could get it. I could shoulder it, but I couldn't, I couldn't get the concept of throwing it straight up. Well, don't throw it straight up. Throw it behind you. Throw it behind you. Mm. See, if you throw it straight up, it's going to get guided forward. If you throw it behind right. you, the, 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 the bottom will flick. Yeah. See, so. that's, that's what I needed. That's the coaching I needed. <laughs> so that's a tough one. And the hard thing is, is you are running with this large piece of wood that's beating you to death with the idea you're going to stop and throw it behind you. Uh, but if you go online, I, I think if you go to YouTube, you type in Dan John Caber, yeah, you'll, you'll get a bunch of me flipping them now. Yeah, that's yeah. that was super fun. And then the uh, the hammer throw was always really interesting because yeah. you know there's uh, there's guys that have those those shoes that are that have like the big blades that go oh, yeah. underneath. Yeah, and you know just chuck that dang hammer, man. Some of those guys, you know, there's just this. There's, there was one guy, he was phenomenal. He was probably, you know, mid sixties, had a big old huge gut, like just didn't look athletic or, at all, but he just would crush everything. And you're just like, wow, that's really amazing. Just the athleticism of some of these bigger humans, you know? I probably know him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, or the weight over bar, like the, just all that stuff is so fun and just, but the, that having experience like going from because I did it two years in a row going into that second year and knowing where I was supposed to go instead of just waiting around and for somebody to tell me what I was supposed to be doing or uh you know being able to get the spin on the weight for distance that was really big for me the second year because then I was just PR and like crazy I was like wow you could just really if you get some momentum on there you could really check that thing you know because I never had any uh track and field experience 
growing up. So that was like my first exposure. To settle, you got to make sure you got. You can't just keep leading it. You have to settle. You have to get your feet planted on the ground and ride that thing. You got to ride it. You can't. You can't get way ahead of it. Like so, as a thrower, that was always my issue. Is I was trying to discus throw everything, but in the Highland Games, you got to just sit and wait. And it's funny because when you see me throw, it doesn't look like I'm waiting at all. But in my yeah. mind, I'm like, go, go, go. No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot happening there in a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. Is there, uh, are you working on another book right now or, or are you just teaching right now? Uh, uh, what I started a new website and that's taken, uh, and so I, all the essays for a book I was going to write, we just stuck them up there. Okay. Uh, download it's called danjohnuniversity.com okay if listeners want uh, a real break for the next uh three months or so if they type in corona all capitals it's like i think it's 30 bucks for three months and we're just doing that as a public service um but uh yeah so all my articles are in there the recent ones uh, and the reason i put them in there is because sometimes well I, I like to write about a lot more than what are the five best ways to build your triceps. You know, right. I get a little, I hate those kind of articles and they seem to, that's what a lot of magazines now want. And I hate those kind of articles. Yeah. Nine, nine challenges you must beat. And it's like, okay, I mean, I can write the article, but I feel soulless after I'm finished. You know? Right. Or like those, all those magazines that just every single month they have like a, six pack abs article. And you're just like, how do you do that? That's so crazy. Like, how do you, how are you able to write those articles over and over? So I've written for all the magazines, you know, yeah. um, and it is weird. Like, uh, men's health will have sometimes a brilliant little program. And the next month, it, the exact opposite program will be there. Yeah. And just like, well, how do you poor readership? But again, they're just selling magazines. You know, it's the articles about the length of a bowel movement. It's something you want to watch, read on a plane. It's not, and I get it. So they keep knocking them out all the time. But right. boy, sometimes you just you just wonder. You know. Yeah, and so how long? So when did you understand that you wanted to start writing books? Probably when I was in the seventh grade. Uh, probably, really? Yeah, probably. I was probably listening to uh, "Bridge Over Troubled Water" by Simon and Garfunkel. It just come out. Okay. Um, no, in the seventh grade, I, I, I just did a, a piece of writing for my class, and my teacher said that I was a good writer, and uh, I hadn't heard a lot of positive stuff in my life, and so that was one of those things, and then I've always kept my hand in writing. Of course, I have, I have a couple of master's degrees, and I, I got a lot of degrees, and then uh, I think I was writing, like I've published articles on Beowulf, King Arthur, uh, 4-H clubs, uh, all kinds of things, uh, all, all kinds of things. And then uh, one day I wrote an article for a magazine. They sent me a check for 1500 bucks. And my wife said, you know, you're not writing these think pieces anymore. You're going to write about two sets of five and, you know, front squatting. And, yeah. And that's, so that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And so how many books have you written so far? I think it's 14. 14. Uh, that's crazy. But the cool thing is I've been translated into uh, – this is this one I just got this week. This is Never Let Go. Yeah. The Chinese edition. Nice. 
Um, I'm translated into Chinese, um, let's see, Chinese, Hungarian, um, Portuguese is coming up, German, Chinese, Korean. I think it's six total languages, but I'm forgetting, I know I'm forgetting a couple of them. But it's kind of fun, the, the, it's kind of fun to see the translations because you know, I know I've written it, but I don't know what it is. So it's kind right. of fun to see that, yeah. Yeah, so what's yeah. what's that like? Because that's a that's a huge accomplishment to not only be um, what some people consider to be a prof- prolific figure in the industry, um, but also to be so prolific that they're starting to translate your books. I mean, that's, that's just cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you just don't even really think about it, or you just kind of just well, yeah. It just it it's it, it sort of becomes a process after a while. Yeah, you're just, um, you know, we certainly need to get and talk about the, the writing part. But what happens is, so, you know, as a good coach, you always want to make sure you, you know, you write the workouts down, you keep track of things. Uh, you have to keep, you know, especially as a track coach, but it's, even as a strength coach, you need to know the numbers and where things are going. But then I discovered a while ago was that the numbers alone weren't the whole story. So I need to write down what was going on in the world, the weather. Uh, this week, uh, not only do we have the coronavirus, but we got hit by a really good-sized earthquake here. Yeah. Well, and then last night, we had a massive aftershock. Well, I need to put that in. And then pretty soon, you realize that you, your athletes become more of a narrative. Okay, so uh, Jesse, he's dealing, his dogs aren't, are anxious. And pretty soon you start writing narratives about your athletes. Right. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you realize that, oh, these are sto- these are the stories I keep repeating. This is my this is that way I did. Yeah. What I began to pick up on are these ebbs and flows. Uh, these patterns began to emerge, and and so what I began to do as a coach is just expect these things to come up. And then after a while, instead of just expecting, we would plan for them. And that's kind of how, that's kind of my journey right there. Yeah. That's really fascinating uh, because I'm writing my first ebook right now um, for massage therapists, just teaching them how to um, integrate a lot of these different ideas into their current practice. Cause that's yeah. one of the things that I'm really good at is I'll just learn something and then just start trying it. Yeah. But realizing that I have the safety net of, um, knowledge that I have already. And so a lot of people really have time with a hard time with that. And so that's one of the things that I'm using with my downtime during this coronavirus pandemic is to uh, start writing an ebook. So that's why I was asking you about oh, that. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, the process, uh, if I was going to give you one hint is I, this really worked for me in the last two books is I put together a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. And then you don't even have to go to an audience. You can just say it out loud and you'll begin to pick up as you do it. You'll begin to pick up things, the logic errors, or you can move this. It's funny because when I say this, it doesn't sound like much, but this slide here would look better up here. And then you do that and you go, oh, that's much more like, well, if you are writing a book, instead of just doing the PowerPoint presentation, that little bit of moving is so much more difficult once you have words on paper. Yeah. That's, that's how I do all my books now is a, and for me, I go around and I, I workshop every book I probably give 
I would say sneaking up on 20 workshops before I write the book. Interesting. Uh, and the reason I do that is one, I like to get paid. So that's nice. But, <laughs> yeah. but the other one is that the audience helps me, the feedback, the questions, the not even the questions sometimes. It's the, oh, this point you made. In fact, I have a whole book called Can You Go? That happened because I was sitting at a table uh, after one of my talks. And the guy said, well, how do you discern this person from that person? I was like, well, it's obvious, isn't it? That you're going to have body composition clients, mobility clients, and uh, strength clients. And then it just hit me that that's a Venn diagram. Yeah. So now you've got seven different clients because when you bring those three circles together and boom, the book just was written right there. Right. The entire multi-hundred page book was written in one simple explanation to somebody about, um, you know, and then of course I have these standard, I already had these standard tests. I just, I just turned them in something that was easier to sell. One, two, three, four is easier than <laughs> here are the things here are the, here are the, here, here's what we do. But right. one, two, three, four sells, and that sells better, but is more logical to listen to and apply. And pretty soon you got a book. But really, I had been working on that book, my, um, my I hate to call it an assessment book, but it, it is a book about assessing people. But I had been working on trying to explain how I assess to people for a while. And it was just in a flash insight that the entire book got written. But it took probably, it took the better part of a year of explaining it to people before it really coalesced into my mind. So sometimes you might have a great idea. It just takes a while. You gotta, you gotta throw some fertilizer, a little bit of water on it, you know, you gotta weed it, and then all of a sudden it bears fruits, yeah. Right, and I think another important part uh, about that before I let you go is, um, understanding that what's common knowledge to you isn't for other people, right? So that that's one thing that I've really had to uh, understand is when people are looking at the human being standing in front of them, they don't think like I do because of the accumulation of knowledge that I have. So the knowledge that you have and that you've attained through your experience is valuable to other people because I've, you know, just through this podcast, I've been inviting people on and they're like, well, I don't have anything to say. And I'm like, well, you started a business, right? Because the person that wants to start a business hasn't yet and needs to know what to do. So like, it's, it's just simple, just like that. Yeah. My right. business model is to keep my expenses as low as I can and make as much money as I can. That's, that's, what, my that's what my accountant told me to do. And that's my model. <laughs> I like it a lot. I like it. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Let me know when this airs and I'll put it on my websites and stuff, okay? All right. Sounds good. I'll uh, shoot you an email and everything like that with all the information. Appreciate it. Sorry about the time problem. Okay? Oh, no worries. No worries. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You bet. We'll talk soon, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely.